When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Welcome into uh, Purple Daily, our post-game podcast, and this will be the final Purple Daily post-game podcast of the 2019 campaign because these San Francisco 49ers in the second-round playoff game that they played against the Vikings um, on Saturday won 27-10 over the Vikings. Our guy, Matthew Collar, is in Santa Clara. He watched this debacle. And, Matthew, the floor is yours for a, a another Mike Zimmer season-ending defeat in which the defeat does not come by a narrow margin, but much like the NFC Championship game that we both attended in Philadelphia a couple of years ago, comes by a margin that is a lot and feels like a butt whooping. Yeah, you know, and I couldn't help but think about the fact that in the last three playoff games that this team has played, they've totaled 43 points. And, you know, even though they had a decent offensive performance in New Orleans, the conversation was much more about how the defense slowed down Drew Brees and then today, of course, a complete no-show from the Vikings offense. But that's kind of what you almost have to come to expect from this team, that if you're going to ask them to go on the road multiple times in the postseason with this quarterback, and we'll get into all that, but with this quarterback, you probably aren't going to win those games. That everything is going to have to be set out for you and paved in gold in order for you to get anywhere. And, uh, you know, especially when you have such specific weaknesses and such a, a specific way that this team could be beaten and the fact that they showed throughout the year that they didn't really have a whole lot of resiliency. I'm sure that you could write the story a different way after one win in New Orleans, but that was not the story of the season. The story of the season was they earned their way here to San Francisco by losing all the games just like this. And with this t- the talent on this team – the defensive line that they have, the cornerbacks, the safeties, the, the defensive coordinator. I mean, they've got all sorts of talent. You had to figure at some point that it wouldn't be shocking if they pulled a Chicago, if they pulled a Green Bay, if they pulled a Kansas City. And that's exactly what they did here was they had this one specific way to beat them. It was if you demolish the interior of the offensive line and you slow down Delvin Cook, you put them in second and long, you put them in third and long, that – you're going to lose if you're the Vikings. And that's exactly what they did here because, in part, your quarterback cannot overcome anything. And this has been the story. And even in New Orleans, he didn't overcome anything in New Orleans. He played pretty well, but it's not like they got down in that game. It's not like they stopped Delvin in that game. Through most of that game, they ran really effectively with Delvin Cook, and then it set up him to come through at the end. But it was not like, oh, no, you're down and and everything else, you've got to come back or – or you have to rely entirely on Cousins. They only needed him 
at one point in the New Orleans game to come through, and he did. Uh, but in large part, it was Delvin Cook doing his best. And you know, today they just bottled him up right away. They shut down the screen passes that are sort of there built in to help Cousins when he's struggling. And once you shut down those two things, you're, you're going to win. You're going to beat the Vikings because they have no other answers. And let me just completely go in any other direction here, but I would love to say that I don't agree with a lot of the things they did on offense today, uh-huh. especially running on second down over and over and over again. Yeah. But, but I think that execution and a very, very good defense and a very, very good defensive coordinator – and a dominant defensive line, not an okay or decent or good, a freakishly great, super talented, completely healthy, 100% fully rested defense that is absolutely fantastic, mauled you and demolished you. It doesn't mean Kevin Stefanski isn't a good offensive coordinator. It doesn't mean he shouldn't get the Browns job if they offer it to him or anything else like that that I saw people reacting in the fourth quarter. It means that you had this one very serious weakness all season long is that your quarterback cannot escape the pocket when there's pressure. He can't find ways off schedule to make plays. And that's why, you, I mean, you could have written the script in week two that at some point in the playoffs this would happen. And I think I said after the week two game against Green Bay that Vikings fans are resigned to their fate that eventually in the playoffs the same thing will happen that happened in Green Bay, that there will be a bad interception that happens. And I know it wasn't his fault, but it never is. So, like, lo and behold, a a bad interception. What was Thielen doing there, Matthew? I'm not sure. I honestly don't know. He took responsibility for it. He said he was supposed to cross the face of the defender, but he didn't. He pulled up for a hitch. You know, I don't know. That was really baffling. And it's sort of the same type of thing with Stephon Diggs last year against New Orleans where – Yes, it was the receiver's fault, but also mistakes are going to happen in a football game. Like You just can't expect no turnovers against a great team or, or no mistakes. So it, it's, it's the constant thing of, and I saw people doing it. I saw you know, even respectable minds on Twitter saying, well, you know, this isn't really Kirk Cousins' fault. Like, well, it never is. I mean, that's on the gravestone of the Kirk Cousins era. It will say, you know, zero NFC championship appearances. It wasn't Kirk's fault. Like, that's what it will ultimately end up saying. It's one of the most frustrating things to try and deal with because it all does come back to the quarterback. When things aren't going your way, the best quarterbacks are able to find ways to make up for it, and the guys who are just good and not great don't, and the guys who are really bad don't stay with their team for very long. And and that's kind of the three categories that you could put all the quarterbacks into. So, you know, when your quarterback has 87 yards by the third quarter, I really, really don't like to read that it isn't his fault. So how, how much of this also comes back to a topic that we discussed um, starting last March throughout uh, the OTAs, minicamp, training camp? How much of this also comes back to the fact that when you face a dominant D-line, and this this – Niners defense was healthy. They looked fantastic. Damn, they're good. Uh, your offensive line also just can't really protect. And, and so, so, and you know, you know, going back to Kirk's time in Washington, the day that you signed Kirk, you knew that he was not this Hall of Fame great quarterback, that he had shortcomings. And you also knew that, that your offensive line was basically to a large degree, because I, I go back to you signed Josh Klein, neglected too. So how, how much yeah, of this yeah. is in its totality a conversation that, yes, certainly involves Kirk for sure, 
but also goes back months and months and months to the question of Rick Spielman. You are aware who your quarterback is, and yet your offensive line, if it faces a really good defensive front, is going to be and has been and was in huge trouble. Well, now this is where it all kind of traces to Mike Zimmer in a lot of ways and the overall organizational philosophy that they decided to take. And, you know, last week it worked where you start with the run game and you succeed with the run game and then you do the play actions off of that. But then if they take away the run game, what's going to be your answer? And the problem is that when they take away the run game, you have a bunch of offensive linemen who are just screwed. Like they are so (laughs) bad. They're just so bad at uh, pass protection that you have no chance if Kirk has to drop straight back. And this is where I would say, okay, yeah, I mean, the quarterback is responsible, but any quarterback under pressure is going to be worse than they are not under pressure. And it was a combination. I thought there were some times where he was holding the ball, holding the ball, holding the ball, because he just refuses to throw into coverage. And he had a quote after the game, and I'll answer your question in a second, but he had a quote after the game where he said, well, you don't want to force the ball. Like, hey, you know what, though? When you're down 17 in the fourth quarter, you might want to force the ball. But it's just Kirk to a T that he absolutely refuses to do anything that he's not supposed to do by the book of being a quarterback. And so, of course, he's going to sit there and hold the ball and hold the ball and hold the ball because he will not throw it into coverage. Even when he has Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, he just absolutely refuses to do it unless it's the coverage that he wanted to see. So if you can rush with four, and this is what Chicago did, and this is what Green Bay did, they don't even bother blitzing Kirk Cousins anymore because they know they can get to him with their four-man pass rush, and they know he'll just stand there with the football and take sacks like he has done for his entire career. He'll, he'll just not throw it, or he'll just check down to somebody like he did on third and long to Kyle Rudolph and down 14 points. Like, yep, there's, there's classic sort of Kirk meltdown checking all of the boxes. Uh, but let me tr- get back to it and trace it back to Mike Zimmer and the overall organizational philosophy. When you start with, we're going to run the ball, my question is, then why did you pay a quarterback this much bleeping money? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you start with, we're going to run the ball, okay, great, but you can pass protect, right? Oh, not really, no. I mean, you have offensive linemen. You drafted an offensive lineman who can't pass protect against anyone good. Let's just think about that. Like in 2020 we're in now, you drafted a guy with a first-round pick who cannot pass protect against anyone good. That's pretty concerning. Your other guy you liked enough to move over to the starting guard, he absolutely cannot pass protect. Now, they're both Garrett Bradbury and uh, Pat Elfline. They're both pretty good run blockers. Josh Klein's a pretty good run blocker. Klein's probably the best of the three, and he's a guy that the Tennessee Titans, who are a pretty darn good football team, decided to move on from because they weren't happy with the way he was able to pass protect. So when you built your team to be able to run the ball, you're opening up this huge, glaring weakness that you better be playing from ahead the whole time. How often in a playoff game are you able to do that? Well, they were able to in one playoff game. How often are you able to in three playoff games? The answer is it almost never happens. That's why when you go through the history of our here game, what do you usually find? You usually find outside of a few examples that everybody knows by heart only because they stick out so much, you find teams that didn't pass the ball particularly well. But most of the time, it's teams that had elite passing offenses and scored the most points with their passing game. The Vikings had an efficient passing game this year for the most part, but not one that was dominant 
throughout the whole season. It was dominant in the month of October, but then not really after. And it, it didn't. It didn't really. Um, it didn't really show itself to be able to rise to the challenge when Delvin Cook did not succeed in the run game. So all the games they ran under 100 yards, they lost. And that was the case today. They didn't run. They couldn't use play action. They got in bad situations. They lost. But this was the philosophy you chose. Like this was, this right. was the direction you chose. Correct. And so that's where I would say, I'm not saying now I want to fire Zimmer after last week making fun of the fire Zimmer people. I'm just saying that as a team, as a builder of the offensive line, that's the way that they chose. How can we make Delvin's life easier and not Kirk's life easier? And that's where you have to say, okay, I'm not sure I, I really agree with that. I, I mean, I thought that, uh, you know, Bradbury was a pretty good prospect and it made sense to shore up their offensive line. But then he gets here and you realize that he's 20, 30 pounds lighter than a lot of the players at his position and he can't pass protect against anybody good. And, and so okay, if the only thing that impressed you about him was his outside zone run blocking, that's not a first-round pick. And so that, that's kind of the way that I would look at it is this weakness is not going to go away, and you're not going to help your quarterback at all if you can't allow him to sit back there. But it also speaks to, just as we go round and round, it speaks to the severe weakness of your quarterback that he can't make up for anything. So it's kind of like – you know, a lot of people expected the Vikings to upset the 49ers. A lot of people expected them to hang close, like I did. And maybe we shouldn't have. I mean, maybe we shouldn't have for a 49ers team that so specifically had all the things that the Vikings couldn't handle. So there's just a plethora of stats from this game that jump off the page and are incredibly, incredibly damning if you're the Vikings and incredibly impressive if you are San Francisco. And I'll start you with, with one, but my question for, uh, for you is what jumped off the page at you? What jumped off at me was this. The San Francisco 49ers this afternoon ran 47 plays. Ran. They ran the ball 47 yeah. times, okay? Yeah. The Minnesota Vikings had 45 plays total. When you think about that, so San Francisco, basically San Francisco said, bleep it. We're tougher, we're stronger, we're better. We are going to physically, as the football coaches love to say, impose our will. And and against a Mike Zimmer team, and how often does Mike take pride in we're tough? I've got a tough team. They absolutely put their um, hand down the Vikings' throat, ripped their heart out, and said, you're going to take it. But that, to me, 45 plays total by the Vikings, 47 run plays by San Francisco, not including passes. Yep, and here's where I start with that. First of all, Kyle Shanahan is a hell of an offensive coach, Mm -hmm. and his packages for running today were absolutely marvelous. I mean, just motions and formations and all these different things where you were seeing Vikings looking at each other like, wait, did you have that guy? Was I supposed to be in that gap? What was going on there? Uh, and so it begins there with if you, I mean, running the ball is good. Like it's effective and it's certainly helpful. Certainly takes the pressure off your quarterback. Garoppolo had his good moments and his not as good moments today. And yet their offense was pretty dominant. But here's where it begins for me entirely is the week off that, I mean, it's just smart. It's just clever. If you're the 49ers to say, look, we've seen other teams with this zone running scheme. Denver is a good example, being able to run successfully against the Vikings if you can get them moving different directions and things like that. And, oh, by the way, they got beat up pretty bad last week in a really, really tough game against the New Orleans Saints, uh, 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 you know, and then had to travel all the way out here. And 
then you know they're supposed to for four quarters slow down this really effective run game. And oh, by the way, super clever by the 49ers to use these three running backs because every time a new one came in, the guy was faster than the last guy. Like when you have three of them who are very similar as players and very very good, they all have such great burst. And you're the team that's been slowed down. And so you know you've got an offensive line for the 49ers that's that's very decent and, and very good in running blocking, but then quickness and then creativity and all these things. And you have the fact that the Vikings are worn down. I thought it was a, a very good strategy to stick to that and not also give the Vikings additional chances. Garoppolo gave them one, and they failed to score a touchdown, which is a, a huge change in the game, I thought, to fail to score that touchdown. But for the most part, they were able to control the game through running five, six, seven yards per play yeah. every single time for a consistent run attack. Yep. And, you know, this, this Vikings team has always been sort of, uh, you know, capable of allowing this type of game, right? I mean, we saw that in Seattle where the Seahawks did the same exact thing. Their quarterback wasn't that great that night, but yet they ran and ran and ran and ran and wore down this Vikings defense and controlled the ball and everything else. And it was a, it was a major part of the win. And you know what? I think it says, too, not only just were they worn down, that's not the only reason, but it's also that, once again, it's not a perfect defense. And we knew that if the defense – wasn't perfect as it almost was last week and they still needed overtime against new orleans if you weren't perfect and some of your holes started to show you were just going to be eliminated and if you're relying if you're so poor on offense that you're relying on your defense to shut them down all day well then you're going to lose i mean because overall even though san francisco did run the ball super effectively i I would also look at this game and say yeah but you're right in it like you're allowing them to run, but you're also requiring them time. to travel. Oh, right, you, you're right. You're allowing them to travel down the field yep. on long drives and everything else to give you a chance to slow them down. But they didn't come through in the red zone, and then the offense just com- continually failed and failed and failed. So of course, by the time they run those eight times in a row against the Vikings, <laughs> they're completely gassed. I mean, they're like triply gassed. You would be if it was just a regular Sunday game. And then this was not. It was a Saturday, and it was after playing in New Orleans last week and then having to travel out here. So, you know, I, I think there was sort of a product of all of those things that this is not a perfect defense. And also, Kyle Shanahan's great. They have great running backs. And this is, this is what you should expect. Like, you go up against a team that went 13-3. and three. If you expect them to have big weaknesses and big holes and – be a bunch of jokers or something like I don't know. I mean, they're they're really really good. But you shouldn't so, get your but you shouldn't get your ass kicked. That that's what bugs me. I you know what? If you went in and lost by three or seven, uh, okay, that's fine. But the fact that you went into this game and got dominated, you got physically just dominated, embarrassed. That that's a problem because you know, as impressive as the Saints win was, collar. Today, to me, it was just a butt kicking that that was the it was actually the only thing that mistakenly now in retrospect, I dismissed. I said they might lose. I think they're going to win, but they might lose. But the one thing that I said on Friday was I don't think they're going to get their butts kicked and they got their butts kicked. It felt it felt like a three touchdown loss at least. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and I don't specifically we were talking about the run game. So uh, when I look at the run game for the 49ers, what they did to the Vikings, I look at that as entirely a product of the travel, the creativity and the three running backs and, and how they were able to rotate those guys in. So they're super fresh and you're super worn down. And then your offense not working at all. I mean, that's a huge factor also. 
to why their run game works. Sure. I mean, if you're talking about the big picture on this thing, like, you, no, there's no excuses for this because you earned that. <laughs> like, you don't, you didn't get to play the plucky underdog because you earned it. You threw a pick in the back of the end zone at Green Bay. You scored six points against a Chicago Bears team that didn't even make the playoffs. And with their backup quarterback, not that their starter's any good, but still, how bad does their backup have to be to not be in the game? And yet they beat you. How about Matt freaking Moore beating you in Kansas City? I mean, you earned every bit of it by being a team that had no extra will in them, no resilience, no, like, we're going to find a way to win. That, That was not this team. And that's why I think, honestly, until the New Orleans win, this is one of the least likable versions of the Minnesota Vikings that I can remember. I mean, obviously, uh, excluding teams that were horrible, but like teams that won games that got to the playoffs, maybe like 2012 would make some sense here of just no one would really have believed for any reason that you were going to go anywhere. Maybe you could still point to Adrian Peterson as at that time making you think you might have a chance, but... You know, I think all along, Vikings fans expected this to happen. It wasn't some shocking result at the end. It was, oh yeah, this is this is more like us. Last week wasn't us. This is us. Mentally weak. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so it, it was delayed for a week, but ultimately they showed themselves. And, and now, and now what? I mean, now we'll get into it for the next. Oh, I don't know, eight months or so. But I mean, you start to ask about the fourth quarter. Like, okay, now what? So this direction. The, all this in, invested in this, and it didn't work again. So mm-hmm. two straight years of Kirk Cousins, you have one playoff win, one nice moment in New Orleans, which it was a great game by them, and they deserved credit, and they earned every bit of that. It wasn't like some fluke or anything else. But uh, if that's what you have to show for two years of an $84 million quarterback is probably one win that you wouldn't have had if Case Keenum was your quarterback, oh, wow. I mean, that's – and, and, and a playoff no-show like this and a Week 17 no-show, the same exact thing from Week 17 last year against the Chicago Bears. Yep. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody could look at this and be like, no, yeah, that was good. Yeah, that, that worked out. <laughs> no, you can't. You really can't. I right. mean, the overall, record, the overall record is, what, 18, 13, and 1, and then one playoff win, one playoff loss. Wow. This was not the plan. Yeah. The day you signed Kirk, this was not the plan. Welcome into uh, Perf. Hey, ultimately, in the big picture, this is not important, but it drove me crazy. So I'll ask you for your opinion about this. You are are getting decimated in the fourth quarter. The game is basically done, but you get to two fourth and longs. And instead of saying, you know what, at this point in time, Screw the points. It We've got to go for, for this on both occasions because if we hit something, we have to continue these offensive drives and try to get points. How does Zim conclude not once but twice on fourth and longs? Eh, it's okay. I'll punt. It was like it was a three-point game. It's like, Mike, no, you're getting yeah. drilled here. you got to go for it. And in both occasions, he punted, which to me basically said, I am mentally on the airplane. I'll see you all back home, and I'm done. Well, you know what it said to me is, I don't want my defense to give up 40 points. Yeah, I know, I but don't want pe- yep, it's frustrating. It said, I don't want people to say you gave up 40 points in the playoff game. Yes. That's what Mike Zimmer is doing. To me, it was extremely selfish and really much more concerned with the final stats 
than it was, or the final score than it was with the potential for a comeback. Because the Philadelphia uh, score was embarrassing, right? That's right, the whole yeah, thing. So this all to me, this yeah. all goes back to his defense yeah. in Philadelphia getting completely done and showing up. Yeah, and I can say that he's certainly not unique in doing so. Um, coaches do this all the time. They make that same straight, that same exact move, and you know, a lot of fans and us on Twitter will be like, "What are you doing? You can't possibly be punting this away." But that's what it's all about, and I'm sure that they would deny that a million times over. But that's just the truth. When you are legitimately out of possessions, like, and no one can get onside kicks anymore, which maybe the XFL will come up with a, a good idea there or something. But when you are completely <laughs> Out of possessions, you can't punt the ball back. And a 17-point fourth quarter comeback is unlikely. It's about you sure. know 5% or less, probably less. But it's not impossible. It's not never happened. And, you know, the playoffs are weird sometimes, and you just never know. And maybe that's the play that turns it around, is you throw a 10-yard pass, somebody breaks the tackle, they get a 25-yard gain, and you score, and then all of a sudden it's a 10-point game, and there's 10 minutes left, and there's six minutes left or something like that opens the door for a possibility when you punt away you literally can't get the ball enough times you can't like they'll just run it out and especially the way they were running the ball it was over you needed to score every single time you had the ball and who cares if you throw an interception or who cares if you you know whatever just fail and then the other team kicks a field goal and runs out the clock or something it doesn't matter it was entirely about keeping the final score at a respectable 27 to 10 and congratulations on doing so is all I can say. I mean, obviously it is obviously one of the things that drives me crazy too, is some of the game management stuff. Uh, I think overall the Vikings are generally decent at it yep. when it comes to punting and going fourth downs and things like that. And I think they were in the top five in teams that went for it on fourth down this year. So it's not like they are never aggressive, but I think in this situation it was sort of, all right, this is over every man for himself. And that's the way I would describe this year is that always bubbling under the surface was every man for himself. And we saw it in a lot of different places along the way. Uh, obviously Chicago. And after that was, was you know, the most obvious to where you felt like, all right, everybody is about to jump off of this ship. If it doesn't get turned around and then the schedule helped right after that mess, they were going to New York to play the pathetic giants. And Absolutely. Then they have to go to Detroit and they get, you know, and it just, yep. and it sort of, covered it up and and then last week they showed that they're a good and a very talented football team and if they play exactly their way and never schemes it up perfectly that they can win a playoff game but it's always that bubbling under the surface of you know i'm gonna do what i need to do for for me on this team now and it's kind of felt that way for 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 a little while so you know i guess as far as the the overall result goes um you wonder if you run this back, is it going to be the same result? Is it going to be a worse result? Like, is this the best you could possibly give to Kirk Cousins in terms of a defense, in terms of offensive weapons? Like, is there, is there something that they should have done that they didn't would be my big question. And, I mean, I'm not, I don't know. Like, was there a player they should have traded for? Was there a different guy they should have drafted? Should they fired the coach last year? Should they have – and – I'm not sure that I have any answer to that. It's it's sort of like you put yourself in a certain box when you decided to spend this much on a quarterback who is only so good. And so what were you supposed to do? And then not his line. You made that decision. But then you you didn't give him the protection that he so desperately needs, and you knew that. And and so so here's my question, too. 
because I think it's a very small list. I, I think the question, if the question is, are you going to attempt to basically run this thing back in 2020? Same coach, same GM, same players for the most part. You know, perhaps Rhodes is gone, you bring in a different corner. But if you're going to try and run this thing back, how many guys on the current roster do you think that you, Matthew Collar, look at right now and say, oh, improvement for sure is coming. Improvement for sure. He can be a different player. And I think it's a very small list. I think it's a very small list, and I don't think it includes the quarterback. I think Delvin Cook's a really good player, but I don't think there's more there. Uh, So that question, how many guys do you look at and say specifically that guy is going to show improvement? So if I do run this thing back in 2020, the result could be different. No, it's a great question. And and I think that um, it's probably only like Brian O'Neill and maybe Irv Smith. And that's probably about it. Maybe, you know, Mike Hughes, but he seems to have some issues with uh, getting healthy. You know, I mean, he has the injury and he plays a handful of games and then he gets injured again. And you're also going to have some guys that are not run back. I mean, I, I don't know that, uh, Trey Waynes is here. I don't know that Mackenzie Alexander is here or Xavier Rhodes. And that's probably the biggest area that you could improve is just the, the coverage. But that wasn't really the problem today. It was really on the offensive side that it was so bad you couldn't win. I mean, even if they were great defensively, they would not have won this game because of the way that the offense played, that they were so poor and so inept. And you could say, oh, well, you know, maybe Garrett Bradbury gets X better, but it's he going to get so much better that he stops someone like D Ford on a rush or that he stops someone like DeForest Buckner on a rush. No, of course not. Right. That's not, that's not going to change that. They're still going to have the same problem this year that they had next year if they run everything back. So then you have to ask, okay, so now what, like, do we just think, well, maybe we'll finish some of those games that we didn't finish last year. I don't know. Or the schedule might get harder than it was. This last year, Correct. You know, you're going to go to Tampa Bay. You're going to go to New Orleans. I mean, you know, things are going to be you know, just as hard or probably harder when it comes to the schedule. And that's where I could totally understand if Vikings fans felt like they were, they're just trapped now a little bit with after beating New Orleans, you could have seen the door crack open to, Hey, this could be something special here that this year they just, we didn't believe in them all year. And then they totally shocked us when they got to the playoffs. I'm sure that one of those Giants years that, you know, Giants fans probably felt the same way, where they're like, wait, this 9-7 and team that we all criticized all year long, or the Ravens team that fired their offensive coordinator and put Jim Caldwell in charge what, in like week 14 or something, and everyone was shocked. But again, you kind of have to go back a long way and find examples of that. But I could see if you were a Vikings fan, you would, you would have said after that win, hey, maybe there's just something special about this group. Maybe they came together at the right time, rallied around Kirk, and Boy, they were all so shocked at why everyone thought that Kirk would get criticized for big games that they just played for Kirk. Well, <laughs> all that's pretty, you know. It's a nice story. It sounds good. It is. But I could see where you could talk yourself into it. But now that this happened, you've got to – you basically go back to the default position. It's like, it's like pushing a button that takes you right back to week 16. Like, oh, yeah, well, they did win that game in New Orleans, and that was fun for a week. But, like – here we are again. Same exact feeling as after the NFC Championship game. Same exact feeling as Week 17, and same exact problem. The quarterback is not good enough to even succeed when you have a great offense around him. So you know, it, it sort of puts you in this position of like, how do we even approach 
this offseason? Should we be calling for radical types of changes, whether that's the head coach? Like, are we back to that? Is it, well, you know, maybe last year they should have started getting rid of some of these defensive players like Anthony Barr, and they should have been looking for more offensive I think, talent. I think that's correct. I think that's exactly I, right. I, I think it is too, but I would also say, were they short on offensive talent at all? Like, You've I mean, got to have better protection. You can't. Line. You can't subject. I mean, it's unfortunate, but you can't have an offensive line that absolutely gets just by by good D lines bullied, and they do. They just get bullied. So, and I I would and, say but this. This is what you wanted. That's the unfortunate. Well, right. This but is what you built. But this is what you aimed for. But go, going back before Mike or Rick got the job here, since the Wolves have owned this team and they've been praised for this and at times I think it's justified they've been praised for what for extending guys who they draft who for being for being good and loyal to people who have had success here but when you look at what the Patriots do right the Patriots Bill Belichick looks a lot of guys like Anthony Barr in the eye and says I appreciate you and the second that you walk out this door you're done here and how many times have the Vikings done that and how many times have the Vikings said Rhodes has played well, so we're going to keep him, and we're not only going to keep him, we're going to reward him into years that might become murky and not great. And I think the real talent in GMs and coaches, especially in a sport where your shelf life is is so short, is being in some ways, Matthew, ruthless, and in some ways saying, we are going to jettison you, either trade you or cut you before you go off that cliff, or you're still good, but We've got to get guard help or tackle help. And the Vikings, in some ways, I, I think the loyalty that they've shown for a long time now is coming back to bite them at times because you do say to yourself, what if you had gotten guards that can play? What if you had done this so, or that? Okay, I think this is a fair take because it's kind of my last offseason take, which was you really don't have to resign Anthony Barr. You really don't have to keep Everson Griffin, though he played great for the majority of the season. You don't have to keep Xavier Rhodes. You can trade him if you want to. I get that. I would also say that, you know, when we start talking about the left guard, it just, that's where my head popped off last year on the radio when I started ranting like a complete lunatic about Kirk Cousins, was when we had four straight callers who blamed Tom Compton for the 2018 season. And Pat Elfline is bad. He's not a very good pass protector at all, and and this experiment of moving him to guard was a failure, and there's no doubt about that. But once you've gotten to the left guard, by pro football focuses analysis, that is the position that least impacts whether you win or lose on a, on a weekly basis. So you have worked your way all the way to it's the left guard that we didn't do a good enough job. Do, do the Kansas City Chiefs, do you have any idea who plays left guard for them? No, of course you don't. Right. Who plays left guard for the Seahawks? No clue. I mean – and, and I, I'm even, I even know a lot of this stuff. And left guards, I couldn't recite all 32, but I certainly know that there are quarterbacks in the league that make up for them. And when we've gotten that far, that's when my lights start to go on. You know, the, the, like, you, nope, you've gone too far, must stop here. Because even though they made a mistake bringing back Xavier Rhodes, was the defense not good enough in these two playoff games to win? Like it was. Was it not good enough during the regular season to get in the playoffs? No, it was fifth in points. One player was bad. So you're telling me that they have to have an offense where every player is good, 
and you're telling me that they have to have a defense where every player plays really well all season, that no player can be bad, or otherwise you can't go deep in the playoffs. I mean, that's a lot to ask. It's actually impossible because this year they were as healthy as you could possibly be. And I didn't think that Anderson Dayhill was a problem today in the past. Defense was actually quite good today. And this is what you're telling me, though, is you can't have any injuries. You have to have everyone playing at an extremely high level. You can't have one position on the offensive line where they struggle. I mean, yikes. Even Riley Reese had a good year this year. Brian O'Neill had a very good year this year. Those are the two most important positions, right and left tackle, and you got good production out of them. What it came down to today, and I just am going to have trouble with any other explanations here, is if you pressure Kirk Cousins up the middle, especially, he melts and he no-shows. And if you paint this game as anything else other than a classic no-show Kirk Cousins type of game, I don't know what to tell you because in week 16, everybody went off about Kirk about this one. But now, you know, I don't know. Are we going to make it because he had the Saints game? Are we going to make it about other things? Or is the Saints game really more of the anomaly where he came through at the end, which a coin flip certainly helps. I think if the, the coin flip goes the other way and they lose, we're talking about this game, that game completely differently than, you know, the, the magical Kirk throw to uh, Kyle Rudolph. Sure. So, you know, I, th- I, I think what it ultimately comes down to is you, you are sitting here asking them to do, wait, what? Like, who are you supposed to spend at left guard, like, all this money on? I, I didn't see uh, that uh, Quentin Nelson was available or Will Shields was available in free agency or something to put at left guard to make them so dominant. You know, I, I, I guess I just have trouble getting over this point where we're like, well, this went a little wrong and this went a little wrong and everything else. Well, things are going to go wrong along the way. You have to win the game in Chicago. You have to win the game in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. You have to win the game in Kansas City. And if you don't, you're not going to win. Like the NFL now is you aren't going to win if you're not a number one or two seed. Maybe Tennessee, I don't know what's going on in the Tennessee game, but like it's very, very unlikely if you're not a one or two seed. And if you can't get those because you can't come through during the regular season against any tough defenses, then guess what? I'm going to be standing in some other building next year after the first round of the playoffs having the same conversation with you. And I, and I, I, I felt that way when they signed Kirk Cousins, that this was what you were setting yourself up for as being kind of Minnesota Wild-ish, where you're good, but you don't have Sidney Crosby, and it's really hard to get any farther. And that's sort of like fatalistic, and I don't know where to go off of that. But even as we go into the offseason, I find myself in a very difficult position because, of course, we're going to talk about where they can improve. But how much it matters is going to be really hard to say because I think that they gave Kirk Cousins a phenomenal offense to work with, the best offense he's ever worked with, the weapons that he needed to work with, the running back that he needed, the, the offensive line for the whole season – was probably an average offensive line. And if you expect them to be elite, then tell me how to get there because just signing a guy is not the easiest thing. And on the defensive side, they were certainly good enough in these playoff games, and yet here we are again. And so, I don't know what to tell you. In I don't your have mind, a solution or something. In, in your mind, that then, Collar, is are they resigned to their fate again in 2020? Because Kirk's coming back. I mean, he's going to, he, he might not be here past. Uh, 2020 in going into the last year of his contract but you know he's coming back you, you could draft a quarterback but he probably if you do he is behind Kirk so it sort of sounds hopeless in some ways because you're going to have the components back Kirk is back uh 
what's the answer? Well, if they're not drafting a quarterback in the first round and trading up for him, then they should be drafting a quarterback in the second round. And then if they don't like what they see out of that quarterback after they let Kirk Cousins go, they should be drafting another quarterback and on and on and on and on. And look, I mean, Kirk had a very, very good year. And it's hard to sit here and take away from what he did this season because he had his best season of his career. But when you start to pick it apart, it's a month of games that raises the level of, the, of his statistics so much. If you look at after, what was it, maybe week nine, because it was like the, the second quarter of the season where they were just unbelievable, and it was against the worst teams. I mean, the worst defenses, this unbelievable run of horrendous teams. You got New York, you had Washington, Philadelphia was terrible at the time that they showed up, and they played horrible, and all their cornerbacks were hurt, and, and, and they steamrolled them. And then after that, I ran the numbers from week 9 to week 16. They were 25th in their yards per play after that. That's when Delvin gets a little hurt and, and everything else. But I think that there's a little bit of, to the statistics, a little bit of smoke and mirrors of those numbers getting pumped up by a small sample size and us saying, well, Kirk's coming off the best year of his career. I mean, it's true, but he's also kind of shown you who he is and how far you can go with him through an entire year of starting. And if you're going to tell me that you're going to have a better offensive scheme next year, I'd say, well, what was better than this? I mean, this was the one that they all talked about being built for him, right. specifically tailored to him to get those numbers out of him. Well, well, are you going to have a better left guard? Well, okay, all right, I mean, I guess. But is it going to be someone who's a rookie? As we saw how that went with Garrett Bradbury. Is it going to be someone in free agency? Well, we've seen how that goes with overpaying you know, an offensive lineman in free agency and expecting them to be a complete game changer. Reef has been okay. It's probably best case scenario that he's been an average left tackle, but he hasn't been a game changer for you. It's not like, oh, we know we're good on, uh, you know, the blind side because of Riley Reef. And so that's where I would be saying, you know what? Here's, if you're always going to ask, well, who's the replacement? Okay. And I get that. The replacement, though, if it's a quarterback that you draft and that quarterback is good comes along with something very important, and that is cap space. That's money to spend. And if you can spend that money in other places, in truly game-changing players, whether it's another weapon, whether it's on the defensive side, a cornerback or something like that, that is where it can really change the formula for you. Because if you think, well, you could get, you know, maybe even a little bit lesser production out of quarterback X, but they cost nothing, they cost five million or eight million or nine million on the salary cap or something like that, as opposed to thirty million. Well, that's that's the formula that's going to get pretty tough. If you're asking me right now, though, I mean, I think that they are going to stick with Kirk and they're going to keep telling us about all the things that they should have done or they need to do to make him better and work around him. But I have a really tough time when it's game after game after game after game that looks exactly like this, thinking that this won't happen again in the playoffs. You're, you'll probably I mean, maybe you win your division next year. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe you regress a little bit, or or maybe you get better. Maybe you go eleven to five, or or whatever else. Maybe you even get a one seed. But someone that you're going to face will have a good defensive line, and Post- someone Post- that you face will Sorry. put pressure on your quarterback. And and sometimes Cousins just comes out and throws the first pass seven miles over his receiver, and everybody could play great, and nothing would matter. So. You know, that's where for 
that whole summer, or, or I'm sorry, that whole winter leading into the decision to go with Cousins, that whole time where we were debating at the Super Bowl, should they trade for Smith, should they draft Lamar, should they do this or should they do that, it was always the biggest question is, how much better is he really? How far can he really get you? And I think this year should be looked at as a success still, as weird as it sounds, because we spent all this time destroying them. It still feels like it's a success because you got a playoff win out of Kirk Cousins. And that is not where you set the bar when you signed him. But after what you've seen, I'm not sure how much higher you could have set the bar. Post game, players angry, relieved. What what was the uh, locker room like for the Vikings post game, Matthew? I think the best way to describe it was it's very hard to walk in and to have everybody from the media walk in and for you to just stand there and say, we got our asses kicked. And that's all there is. There's no excuses. There's no, your buddy Walt Anderson did a fine job today. Good job. Walt did not get in the way of this game at all. The referees were fine. He concerned me a little bit early on, but then he dialed it back. Yep. Totally. The one pass interference against Diggs was like, really the ball went way over his head. Does that really matter? There was also a personal foul on Holton Hill that I wouldn't have fully endorsed. I mean, it seemed kind of light, but you know, the refs didn't get in the way. Yep. Uh, the wind didn't have a factor, though Mike Zimmer tried to you know, bring that up as the reason why Marcus Sherrill fumbled the punt. Maybe it was, but you know, it wasn't like a typhoon or something. And by that point, it didn't, it didn't matter one bit. That offense was right. so bad, yeah. it didn't matter. Yeah, so my point is that there was, there was no excuse. There was no like, ground you could really stand on. You had to just say, we lost. We got our asses kicked. And of course, everybody wants to ask, well, what do you think of the future of this team now? And nobody really wanted to talk about it. <laughs> Kirk went on a big, you know, Kirk went on a big thing about, I believe in this, this, and this, and this, and that's fine. But, I mean, they've all got to be looking around and saying the same things that you are and, and that I am and that listeners are and that tweeters are and everything else. They've got to be saying the same thing and looking around and saying, I don't think we can do it. I don't think we can fulfill the potential that we set out for ourselves. Not I mean, a championship. Of course no one is going to say that at, at all. You're, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not quoting anyone. I'm not saying sources told me the Vikings believe they'll never win. I'm just saying that when you've put two teams on the field with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback and the first one misses the playoffs, despite having a top defense that was still top 10 in scoring last year, and then the next year he has the best year of his career, which is hard, going to be hard to repeat, so the best year he's ever had, and you still go only 10-6, and six, which is just okay, good, not great, and you are eliminated in the second round and treated the first win, which I think is kind of fair to look like it, like your Super Bowl in a lot of ways, that first win. Well, you know, I think a lot of them are like, that's kind of us. That's kind of who we're going to be. And what you've entered right now is Cincinnati Bengals, Marvin Lewis territory, where – like the coach is good, the organization. I mean, the Bengals are never great, but like they're they've got they the organization has built a lot of great players. You have Pro Bowlers, you have All Pros, you've got talent, but you've got a ceiling, and you ran into it. And I don't know exactly what they're supposed to do to break through that ceiling now. And that's where I am going to be really fascinated. I mean, if you're the Wilfs, are you going to say, 
okay, well, you know, we were pretty good and we beat New Orleans. So, like, let's just make sure that we just do all the same things again and we add this draft pick and that draft pick. And, and by the way, in terms of things going right for this team, they had a, a draft of guys who played and made a big impact. That's not every draft, as we know, Judd. Right. Uh, sometimes I th- you draft Matthew, guys that are all terrible. I, I think so. that we're going to find out in the coming weeks. I think that we, we are going to get a press release that Rick and Mike have been extended two years each now, now because they picked up the options for 2020. That's done. I think that both of them are going to be extended so that they're going to be here for at least or paid for uh, three more years, 2020, 21, and 22. But the one thing and the one thing that I think they're going to have to answer, and it'll be their actions, not their words, is the quarterback. Are you going to draft one? Because you you can't – I don't – the one thing I don't think you can do possibly is just bring Kirk back and say, Sean Mannion's back too. It's going to be great. You've got to tip your hand at least slightly – as to what your plan at quarterback is, and I flat out after today don't think that that's going to be to give Kirk Cousins, let's say, another three-year contract extension. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, are they going guess. to say? Are they going to say that you know the way that it ended was not the way that it was for the most part with him at quarterback? I don't really know. I mean, that that's one's going to be very hard to figure out where they stand on it because. You know, if they were evaluating him of how did you play in the playoffs overall, his overall performance in two playoff games, and he had one very good drive in New Orleans. And aside from that, it was pretty underwhelming for overall performances because Delvin really dominated that first game. Yep. And, uh, you know, he had to just do enough. But when push came to shove, they just gave the ball to Delvin. And then Kirk could not put the dagger in the Saints. And that's the reason that they had – to go to overtime and the fact that they didn't trust them to put the dagger in either. And that's, that's the thing that I would really come back to. Like, let me just make it clear. I think Kirk Cousins is an excellent NFL quarterback. Okay. So even though this entire thing has been, the quarterback isn't good enough. The quarterback isn't good enough. Overall, I put him right in that same category as someone like Matt Stafford. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of Matt Ryan there. That's sort of, you know, really good numbers and very talented and could possibly go to the Super Bowl. I would never count that out. If they went to the Super Bowl next year, I would be very surprised, but I wouldn't be like Case Keenum in the Super Bowl surprised where I would have never dreamed that somebody uh, of his talent caliber, really a true backup journeyman quarterback could end up in the NFC championship game. We were, we were truly stunned by that. Um, But, you know, when you add in sort of the, the other factors to it, um, yeah, I guess I have to start asking, you know, like what, what the formula is going to be for this if you're actually ever going to win with Cousins. And so if they extend him, I can understand that they'll just keep saying, well, if we run it back enough times, one of the times it's going to click. Uh, yeah, so, that, that would know, be a mistake in, in my opinion. That would be a major yeah, mistake which, because you're, you're going to lose – your defense now is going to come apart at some point in time. You can't keep keeping – these guys and just you know, age. Age is going to cause you to have to make changes there. I I think your point is the best point. I think w- the desire has to be to draft a quarterback in the first round and understand that at that point with the with the uh, fifth year option, Matthew, you've got a rent controlled position that's among the most important in all of sports for five years. Yep, and if the guy stinks, you have a year to figure out that correct. he's actually not good. And if he's Mitch whatever. Trubisky, that's correct. But- you know, you know, we we talked about this on the show leading up a little bit, but most of Philip Rivers' career, outside of when he first took over 
the team and they were unbelievable and Schottenheimer was their coach and, you know, Tomlinson's the best player in the league at that point. But outside of that, Phillip Rivers, though more fun to watch than Kirk Cousins, is exactly like him, where he's every bit of the team that he plays for. If the team is really good, he can maybe get you into a top seed. And if the team is really bad, he's going to be bad. And if they're in the middle, that's where you're going to finish most years. You're going to finish somewhere between 7-9, and 9-7. Nine, nine and seven, And on a good year, you go 10-6. and six. And then you'll have two peak years where he goes 12-4, and 13-3, or something like that. Like, he's that caliber of quarterback. So if you sign him to an extension, let's even say you went all in and said our future is Kirk and went five-year extension. Odds are that one of those years or two of those years you're out of the playoffs. Another year you're a sixth seed again. Yep. And maybe one out of those five years you get a first-round bye. And that's the, the year you have to win the Super Bowl. And if you don't, then you're just screwed. I mean, I guess what the question they'll have to ask themselves is, does that work for you? Because that's how all of these quarterbacks are. And if you have a terrible organization like the Detroit Lions, you just never win. But your quarterback is not good enough. Matt Stafford is not good enough to make a 9-7 and seven Detroit Lions team into a 12-4 and four Detroit Lions team. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of the same thing with him, though. They, you know, they had some good years, and they sort of peaked there. They called, well, you were there 11-5, and five, and guess what? First round out. Because you just have to strike well your iron is hot with these types of quarterbacks. The Falcons are up 28-3 in the Super Bowl, uh, but look what they've done since, and look what they did before. Yep. So they, they had their one shot, which is probably – I mean, I don't know. Maybe this was the one shot with Kirk, but you know, maybe there's another shot down the road. Maybe there's not. You don't, you don't really know with the age of this team and some of the things that went right schedule-wise for them this year that we were talking through the whole season, prove it to us, prove it to us, prove it to us. I mean, that tells you about their schedule. So was this a year where they peaked and then they just missed their chance? It might have been because I, I have trouble thinking of things that went wrong. A reporter asked today, like something about this team went through a lot this year, or overcame a lot of adversity this year. And I was like, what? What adversity did they overcome again? It was self-created. Anything. They created well, it. Yeah, I mean, maybe. They created sure, themselves. Say, it, right. The and receiver disappeared. Got, you got killed. Right. You got killed and your receiver disappeared. But I don't think that that's really like adversity. That's sort of you guys couldn't overcome that. And Correct. Like drastic measures had to be taken. So, yep. uh, yeah, I mean, that. so that's the question you have to ask. It's like if, if you're – if you're going to stick with Cousins and not draft them in the first round, draft a corner back as well, which all of a sudden you need, actually. Yep. So if you take a corner or you take a, a guard, which please don't take a guard in the first round uh, unless he's generational because that's a bad plan. I take a quarterback. Uh, but uh, but if, if you're, if you're going to take something else, then I, I, guess I, I guess that's what you're asking for is you're saying, hey, you know, one of these next three, four years, with Kirk Cousins, we'll probably build up another team that's just like this, or maybe it's next year, and we've got a hit when it comes around. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a tougher sell because teams are always getting better all the time, and there'll be, you know, there's an influx of new types of quarterbacks in the league, and, and that's just going to make it tougher. So I guess, you know, Vikings fans, the, the bottom line here would be that you deserve to be excited about the win last week and I hope you enjoyed it. It was a fun game. It was one of the most fun games I've ever covered in New Orleans. And I would never take away anything that Kirk Cousins did in that game to win it in, in the overtime. But tell me you feel different, like now, even after that. Tell me it feels different than it felt 
just a couple of weeks ago. I think that would be pretty tough to say. So that's – I mean, I'm, I'm open for – for people's plans to uh, plenty to more time them in or email them in. We have months to discuss this, Matthew Collar. Yeah, we have absolutely we've got months. A lot of time. All any right, ideas, sir. Any angles? We've got a we've got a lot of time to discuss it. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy Five or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.